We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA. KJ Podcast, one of my favorite Bay Area sports media personalities, John Middlecoff. Welcome to the program, my friend. How are you? What's going on, Kevin? How you doing? We got to know each other on the sidelines of 49ers, and we hosted that NFL Draft Preview show together, KBR 1050. I have bad respect for what you're doing with your brand. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about the future of sports media in this podcast. We got to talk a little ball at the start. Um, I normally talk 49ers, John. I think there's three storylines that heavily impact this team this season. Let's just start with the first one. Can Jimmy Garoppolo meet expectations? I think the expectations are crazy, and you and I are people that put expectations on him by saying things on Twitter and creating stir and a frenzy that Kyle Shanahan and and John Lynch don't love. Can he continue to play at the December level? And even if he does, I think he could play that level and this team goes 8-8. and At the end of the season, like... Do you think he met expectations, fell short, or exceeded them? Yeah, to me, it's just like the personnel around them. When you just look at a big picture, obviously they're not going to go undefeated. I mean, it's going to be hard for them, like you said, to probably win more, you know, to go above 500. Uh, he could have, to me, like a borderline top five season as a quarterback. And them, just because they're still so young. They're, who's their best wide receiver? Pierre Garçon coming off a major injury. 
uh, the kid they just drafted in the second round. I mean, Marquise Goodwin goes down like every three games. You know, Jarek McKinnon, I didn't really love at the price, but I'm going to give Kyle the benefit of the doubt, you know, to work with a running back. And Matt Breda is going to play a lot. George Kittle, you know, it's it's not like he's got Gronkowski and Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown around him. So I, I think he's just really good player. So when you're a really good quarterback, you're going to play well and you're going to elevate people. But but I'm with you. Like, is he going to be like to me, Kirk Cousins with his team around him? And plus, they're basically a lock to win like 11, 12 games, it feels like is much more likely at the end of the season to be. A, oh, that guy. Hell, he, he, it, would it shock you if Kirk Cousins wins the MVP? They go. 12 yes, and 13, that would you know, shock me. That would stun. But, me. He, but here's the thing. You could win 12 or 13 games. Why couldn't he throw like 35 touchdowns if he just doesn't turn the ball over? His stats, even if it wasn't like he was, you know, winning all these games by himself, it just it could end up that way. Now, is he anywhere near? Like Jimmy Garoppolo to me is a better player. I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is anywhere near the top guys, but just statistically, to win the MVP, first off, you got to win. Uh, I'm going off on an MVP tangent here, but <laughs> you know, and just the stats, and you know, what are Jimmy's stats going to look like at the end of the season? I'd say give or take 30 touchdowns. And, you know, if the 49ers are really competitive, their schedule's hard, the division's tough. Uh, you know, they play in all these primetime games. I, I, but at the end of the day, I mean, Kyle's, you know, arguably the best play caller in the league. And, you know, Jimmy, the more I've thought about Jimmy, like, they got a ready-made player enter, entering his physical prime. I mean, it would have been like someone trading for Aaron Rodgers, you know, 10 years ago after he'd sat behind Brett Favre. It was just... It's very unique. It's not really like a first-time starter because, I mean, even though he was a quote-unquote first-time starter last year, he had just got so many reps at the highest level with McDaniel's, Belichick, and Brady. He, he was just he was ready, and it, it clearly showed. So, the expectations is he going to live up to him? Probably not this year, but he's so good, and he was worth every penny. Yeah, you can tell people around the league, Jalen Ramsey, there was Titans players talking smack afterwards. I don't think players around the league love Jimmy Garoppolo because he he became so critically acclaimed quickly. Yeah, they uh, just don't like that type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you see the same thing with Steph, you know, four years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, guys work hard for their contracts and then Jimmy Garoppolo just walks in and does it. So there's going to be those Jalen Ramsey types and people that, that don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll see what the stats say. Storyline two to me. Who takes the year two leap? Is Solomon Thomas still the same player? Is Ruben Foster, I mean, he's already a top five linebacker, but does he take it to another level where he's forcing turnovers? To me, John, last year they just played a lot of rookies and they ended up making plays just because they're playing all the time. Year two, who's who's a player now? Who's actually developing into a guy that they can count on? Like Adrian Colbert, George Kittle, the list goes on and on. I think there'll be some guys who stay at that rookie level, some guys who don't. And it just depends. I think Kittle's actually primed to take the, the biggest um, year two leap just because of how Kyle schemes and Jimmy Jimmy's strength thrown over the middle. Um, year two leaps, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, like who's going to be their red zone go-to target? It could easily be him. So, you know, if the season ended and he had six, seven, eight touchdowns, it's not that crazy. But I, I think the one name you said after Solomon was Reuben Foster. If he can stay on the field, and we'll see what – I still imagine he's going to get suspended, you know, maybe a game or two for the weed and the guns or whatever. Uh, but it is kind of a sticky situation for the NFL because she basically went under oath, said he didn't do it. So he might not, but he's got to stay on the field. I mean, he kept getting hurt last year. If he plays 14 plus games, I, I don't see how he's not a, 
you know, borderline all pro. I mean, he's just that good. So anytime you have, I, I know people love to say middle linebackers, you know, the linebacker position has been devalued. Like if you watch Luke Keekley, if you play like, and that's what Ruben Foster is, you know, maybe not that obviously that level quite yet, but when you're that good all over the field and making, you know, like you said, turning the ball over basically 15 to 20 tackles a game, you impact the game in the pass game and the run game. So to me, it's just him. Now, can he stay on the field? It's the biggest question mark. I've never been the biggest Solomon Thomas guy. Uh, I will give him his due. He was really good down the stretch. And, you know, he is so young. Uh, but a lot of it's going to be on the coach, too, because he's not Khalil Mack or Von Miller. You can't just line him up over tackles and expect him to land the quarterback. So it's on them to put him over guards, let him rush inside. Uh, that's what happened when Michael Bennett, you know, really took the step in Seattle. They, they moved him around. So you got to some of it's out of his control just because his pure talent you know, relative to some of the great pass rushers in this league off the edge, it's not that. His best attribute is over the guard, and that's that's on the you know the defensive schemer to kind of put him there. So to me, Ruben by far has the best chance to take an enormous jump just because he's so good. And then Solomon, his stats should just look a lot better. You know, I mean, I think DeForest Buckner last year was a good example of a guy in year two that just became a Pro Bowl level player. And I, I don't know if Solomon Thomas is ever going to be like some great Pro Bowler, but he could be, you know, a fringe Pro Bowl guy every year. Six wins, eight, nine, ten. I mean, these contributions they get from the year two guys, I think that'll be key. But uh, you mentioned it. I'm glad we have a X's and O's guru who's been in the film rooms with the Philadelphia Eagles who understands everything. How is Robert Sala going to manufacture a pass rush? Was I see these pieces on Jerry Atachu. People are writing about Cassius Marsh right now. There's nothing else to write about, and the quotes are good in the building on these people. And you have your hardcore fans that obviously trust John Lynch. That hey, they they didn't address this problem. They didn't force it. But I really think this ends up impacting the win total. Just how cornerback did last year. Just how they had Dante Johnson on the field. They had the money. They could they could have done some things. So if Jimmy G plays well and they're losing shootouts, and this is a problem. Um, they, they didn't address it. So I, I just I wonder how you think Robert Sala can get this. But my team. only question, though, Kevin, like who would have been the pass rusher to pay for this year? You know, no, there were, yeah. once Marcus Lawrence didn't hit and then Ziggy got, you know, franchised. Well, the Rams traded for Robert Quinn. I'm saying, them. like, you got to make some type of effort to make some type of trade. It's just, my only thing with that is, like, I forget the exact compensation on Robert Quinn, but – you know, or even JPP got traded for a third rounder. Like, are they in that position to be like a player away yet? You know, or just, or you could make the counter argument whenever you get a quarterback, it ups your, you know, your urgency on everything you do. So I, I get it. Uh, to me, they would have been much more likely to like trade a third, fourth round pick for a guy that makes a lot of money. Like one guy I was thinking last year that was kind of coming off a down year. They had a new coaching staff, makes a ton as Olivier Vernon you know, with the Giants, that they paid him huge money. And once Shermer came in there, like, would they just dump him to get away that salary for, like, a fourth rounder? I mean, they did with JPP. So, yeah, I hear you. But I I also think at the end of the day, like, the Eagles are a good example. They're, it was Carson Wentz and their defensive line. That's what they were known for this year. And their defensive line was really deep. But at the end of the day, like, their defensive line was elite because of two guys. It was Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. Both those two guys are first rounders, high first rounders, like top 15 picks. Like same thing with the Niners. Now their defense is not going to, the line is not going to be as deep as the Eagles, but like they can take a huge step if DeForest Buckner and Solomon Thomas, their two 
basically top eight picks, right? Because Saul or I mean DeForest was pick seven or eight, and Solomon was pick three. Like those guys got to be Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, and then the other guys start look. You know, then Chris Long, whoever you know, Jeremy Atachu. That those guys start looking a little better. You have to have your blue chippers, you know, play basically out of their ass and be what you drafted them that high to be. So if those guys take big steps. Then to me, all the other guys around there, like then Eric Armstead, who I'm not the biggest fan of, and I don't know why they picked up his fifth-year option, but if you tell me that DeForest Buckner is an all-pro and Solomon Thomas is a pro bowler, I'd be like, I bet Eric Armstead looks okay because you got to just focus so much on those two guys. D-Lyman, 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 they've tried. It's been different regimes. They still can't get to the quarterback. I mean, that's the bottom line here. I think it's going to impact the win total. Storyline four is obviously Richard Sherman. It's a complete guess what his health is going to be if it's 85 percent his impact we've already seen it he's working with Akilah Weatherspoon now he's coaching guys he's even helping Jimmy Garoppolo with tendencies I I think it was worth it it'll be and it'll be impossible to tell really till they play a regular season game you know even in the preseason because he'll just say I'm working my way back or whatever so it'll be hard to truly judge but the regular season you know week one if he's up That'll be the first time we'll, we'll know. That's what's the hard thing about football. Like You don't really know in practice. You don't even truly know in preseason games. But in the regular season game, you'll sure we'll find out. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have gotten things right. They had Ruben Foster, that whole scenario. They stuck by him. If Richard Sherman isn't healthy and that doesn't work, if Mike McGlinchey in the running game doesn't take off, if the team only wins six or seven games, all of a sudden, do you think – the honeymoon would, would sour year three. There would be less kumbaya because the fan base is as engaged and bought in as any in the league right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's natural. People get mad when you lose in the NFL. So if they went 6-10, and 10, that would feel like a pretty big letdown given that they went 6-10 and 10 last year. But I, I, I do think that if they went 8-8 eight and eight and they look like they're really close, I, I think that'll be fine. Even 7-9 and because to me, their roster just isn't that good. You know, they got... Obviously, Jimmy's good. They got three or four other guys from Ruben to Solomon and DeForest and Kwaski. But that, I mean, that's to me about it. I mean, I, and we'll see about McGlinchey. Staley's old. Uh, Western Richburg's, you know, an upgrade, but he's not great. I just, to me, relative to the rest of the NFC, I think we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves just thinking there's a lock playoff team. But, but Kyle might just be that good. Uh, to me, they, they got at minimum probably five years. Jets fired too many people. They're paying these guys too much money. I, I think the fan base saw the lowest of the lows with Tom Sula and then the joke that was Chip Kelly. Uh, they, they've kind of been tempered a little bit. They're not you know expecting Harbaugh level winning, but I, I would say by year three the expectations you know will be legitimate. You know I, I think they're there now, but I, I don't know how much substance there is to them. Who would you take? Out of the NFC, if you had to pick today, I mean, there's so many talented quarterbacks. You're really high on the Vikings. Kirk Cousins could win the MVP. Look at the Rams, what they've done, too. If you had to pick a team today to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, who would you lean towards? Probably the Vikings. I'd say it'd be like a three-horse race to me. Vikings, Eagles, and you know, as long as Aaron Rodgers, I'm banking on him being healthy, that they'd be right in the mix. But what's crazy, like... You could convince me like three or four other teams, Carolina could bounce back. I mean, bounce back. They were in the playoffs last year. Uh, the Saints are really good. You could convince me the Cow. I'm not the biggest Dak Prescott guy, but as long as you got Zeke Elliott and if their defense is just solid, they're tough. 
it's just hard. And I, I didn't even mention the Rams. The Rams, on paper, the Rams are freaking awesome. And there'll be a surprise team. There always is. Like someone who no one expects, like the Giants, Redskins potentially. Well, exactly. Like even, I'll give you another one. I mean, this guy has a long resume of winning. It's Pete Carroll in Seattle. I think we're all counting them out. And I'm not, I'm not expecting them to make the playoffs, but they do have a top five quarterback. And they do have a coach that has a long resume. Now, probably more than any other team that didn't fire their coach. They had so much coaching turnover. So you'd probably bet against it. But I'm not really in the business of betting against Russell Wilson. I wanted to spend the second half of this podcast kind of talking about sports media. You have just interesting takes all the time. You're doing your own thing. You have multiple podcasts. You're on the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Let's start there. How quickly do you think before podcasting networks become a serious threat to radio? There's there's $17 billion with radio advertising right now. There's only like $300 million with podcasting. Like It's clearly radio is winning this battle. How long, though... Until consumers make the shift, advertisers make the shift in, in your mind, just surveying this this landscape. You know, I'd say five to ten years until it even becomes a legitimate conversation. Because, like you said, I mean, three fifty million to, is you said seventeen billion for radio. That's the number I have. Yeah, so that's it's enormous. Uh, but the, to me, the number you have to look at is the growth rate, and the growth rate in podcast. Wasn't it like 300% just last year alone? I would imagine that number is going to double again this year, and it'll just keep happening. What really hit me is when you get a new car or you just drive with someone that has a new car, the functionality of phones to the car, right? Because a, a lot of times where radio really makes our hay, which is the Bay Area, for example, is you go on the Bay Bridge during drive time in the morning or in the afternoon, you can't. it's bumper to bumper or the 680 or whatever. Same thing with Los Angeles. You're just stuck on the road. So radio's got you. There's, you can't do anything else. You, know, you can try to do something else than Tesla. As we've seen, those self-driving cars, they crash. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, you know, if you're driving something like a 2005 car, you're just stuck listening to whatever's on the radio, whether that's local radio or serious radio. Nowadays, you hop in a new car, it's immediately, you don't need a Tesla, just any new car connects immediately the Wi-Fi to your phone. So, so many people, whether it's Pandora, whether it's, like you said, the podcast network, uh, the amount of people also that listen to my, I've just seen it through the podcast relative to radio, we, we have no clue. The, the way radio judges the way people listen is the most antiquated system probably in the history of America. For the Bay Area, again, as an example, there's like 20 meters out there. 20 people, 20 people represent about 7 million people. And if you if you get a couple of them to listen to your station, you get big ratings. Well, so you're telling me – to me, that sample size is so tiny. If I get 50,000 people listen to my podcast, I can get the analytics, who they are, where they're listening, how long they listen, what segments they listen to. And again, this just speaks to the power of technology that you just have so much more information. And this to me, whereas the advertisement and I'm seeing it right now selling my podcast, just how it's only going to slowly and slowly change because I can give them tangible numbers of how long people are listening. In radio, you can't. You can guesstimate. And back in the day, people just believed it. Now they know it's it's not really true. You know, you, you got no clue how many people are listening. Radio is in an uphill climb. We both used to work in radio. 
I think for podcasts, can it ever reach a subscription model? Can it be a Netflix, a Hulu? Can Apple figure this out where they charge five bucks a month because people are so enthusiastic? But then again, you're going to alienate all these people you're trying to convert. I do think one but day. Why, why would you have to? Like radio never had to because they get all this advertising money. As long as you get a lot of advertising money, you would never need to do it that way. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's a new school model with, I mean, what Netflix is has $60 billion in content creation, something crazy. It's just, you're able to scale it more. I don't, I don't know. It's just, Apple is so weird how they control the, the podcasting. It doesn't seem like they're like super involved in, in growing it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it, it is it is kind of wild. I wanted to know your Twitter strategy, man. I, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. I kind of just pack a punch and, and try and, and get retweets on, on a big thought that I may have had in an article or something. You you tweet all the time. I want to know if that's just part of your brand strategy to be everywhere all the time, or um, you're just you you're open. You you like you know putting everything out on social media. But you know I know you don't care about the PC people. Like that's not the crowd you're going for. But I just think it's interesting how I mean, dude. I'm scared to put all my thoughts out there and alienate people. You 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 do it your way. I just admire that and want to see your strategy. Yeah, it's probably a reflection of, you know, I, I need more of a life. Uh, I, I just real I, I realized a long time ago, like, I love social media and it's been huge for my career. Uh, obviously, Twitter, you know, the connection and integration to everything I do. But I also realized that just you hear this all the time. You see it in politics. And for the most part, I, I, I hate the PC crowd, but I don't get that into politics. Like I, I talk about sports and the business of sports and even media stuff. Like I, I'm not, you're not going to see me on, you know, Twitter tweeting about Donald Trump. I, I just don't give a shit, and I don't think most people care what I think because I see when these other people that I follow that if you're not a news person, I don't care what you think, and I think that's the way most people are. I also think that people appreciate, and just because I'm naturally like it, I, I've never really given a fuck. And I don't can I swear on your podcast? Oh, definitely, of course. And then you know I see the growth of Barstool, and I just see the way all my friends are. All my none of my friends are in the media. My my friends just work normal people jobs, uh, and I, they hate the PC culture. And so I think that you see on Twitter, the, especially with the media, they all say the same things, and it just kind of gets kind of lost in this kind of big circle jerk of the whole group. Well, I don't think it often represents the way other people are feeling, especially with sports stuff. And, and whether it's the Kaepernick whole saga, what, whatever, you know, the, the kneeling thing has taken on some, such a life of its own. But I, I often think the media does not do a very good job, especially in football, of representing what the fan base and kind of their first reaction is. And I think the media has somewhat exposed themselves, like politically. I'm very open with where I stand. I'm pretty fiscally conservative and socially. Like most young people, I could not care less about anything you do. Most people, even in the Bay Area, especially young, successful people, I find they kind of think like me. And I just think I kind of just try to speak for them uh, because they're not – it doesn't feel like they're represented on Twitter, at least the people I follow on social media that are just so extreme, like – most people aren't that extreme, and most people don't get as worked up as you think everything is on Twitter. So that's where I've kind of realized, like, it, it just doesn't matter. So if I think something or see something, especially in, regarding the sports, I, I just say it. Because at the end of the day, if people freak out or whatever, I, I just – I don't care. Like yesterday, 
there was the Washington State guy that committed suicide. Was it last year? I mean, it was just horrific, terrible. There was an article that I haven't even read the article yet, but it kind of became a life on of itself on my Twitter account that CTE killed this guy. And he had, you know, early signs of CTE. And my question was, is first off, he's a quarterback, so he doesn't get hit at all during the practice. He wasn't even a starter really till this year, unless he played like middle linebackers in youth football. Like, how did he really develop CTE, you know, at 21 years old? And you just look at the history of America. Football has never been less violent. Yeah, so it's never it's it's as it's currently yeah. constructed now, it's the least amount of violence that's ever been part of the sport. We've been playing football at youth levels since like after World War II, up until like you know we were kids. I, I would say in the last five to ten years, it's dramatically changed at the youth levels, like less tackling, less hitting. So that all these guys over all these years, maybe it's, maybe he had severe depression. Like to me, these isolated incidents then become generalized. And I'm not like football truth or war on football here, but I, I just I, I often feel like with these media takes and, and everyone in the media, they all say the same thing and all think the same. No one else is like an independent thinker. Like it's just rare. And back to what you said about my strategy, I often go against the grain because I, I naturally kind of don't agree with a lot of the takes that are going on. Uh, the future of sports media is exactly what you're doing. I think big, powerful brands are becoming less and less powerful because voices like yours, like hopefully mine, are, are becoming stronger and fans are, are leaving traditional old news outlets and, and just seeking out people they agree with or, or that are going to teach them something as opposed to just what's been the standard. Uh, I, I, I do think really quick, and you see this with ESPN and they take a lot of shit for it, and I, I think it's a lot of it's just, is a lot of people when they come to sports – they don't really want your political opinion. Like if I just turn on an NBA show, I really just want to hear, like, what's LeBron doing? Are they going to trade Kawhi? People that intermix politics, and especially ESPN is taking the most grief for this, I really think a lot of it's been fair because I don't think people want it. And this is where I said again, I speak for, like I just talk to my friends, they hate it. You know, if they want politics or whatever, they turn on the news. Uh, you know, if they, if they want the food, if they want to talk about food, they go to the food network, they come to ESPN or Fox or wherever they want to hear about football. And I think that's kind of lost touch these last couple of years. Cause there's so much emotion. So many people are highly charged and it just turns a lot of people off. I'm with you there. John Middlecoff on the KJ podcast. He's been a scout, Philadelphia Eagles host 95, seven, the game. It's on the Colin Cowherd Podcast Network, climbing the ladder, giving us the truth about the 49ers and media strategy. Last one before we let you go. Sports gambling obviously going to become a big deal. I, I follow quite a bit of your content. You're betting all the time. Do you think, I mean, it's, it's obvious, sports gambling is, is going to become like marijuana. It's going to become fashionable and people are going to want to try it like they do in Denver and now in California. It's going to be legal everywhere. What happens? Is there is there a platform like Twitter where we're going to be able to bet quickly? Is there going to be a bunch of DraftKings type of stuff? Like, how does this unfold the next couple of years and grow in America? That's a hell of a question because right now I I don't need it. I can place my bets on these offshore sites, and I, I work with one for my Periscope show, MyBookie.ag. That you don't, I can do it from wherever, you know. So I I don't know. 
once the government gets involved, the the prices always change because they always keep more. (laughs) So it becomes a little more difficult. That's where I don't think we're going to see dramatic changes in terms of like have more people started smoking marijuana. I'm not a weed guy, so I I can't. I'm just asking the question. I don't know. It doesn't feel like that much has changed. Like now, granted, we live in California. It's always been pretty prevalent here, but just become legal and people like cool. You know, I, I, I don't know if the people that gamble are just going to continue to gamble. Maybe definitely some new people get involved, but I, I do feel like the last five or 10 years, a lot more people, the NFL has grown so much because a lot more people just got involved in stuff like that. Now I do think with the DraftKings, that type stuff is definitely going to grow, but I, the online gambling, I, I think it's already pretty well established. You know, people have their bookies, people feel comfortable with it because when you are exchanging money, you just, you do want to feel comfortable with it. So once it becomes like, I guess a, let's say California in two years, it becomes legal. And there's like a Calibet California or wherever the site's called. And you feel like, God, they're taking 20% of my earnings. Why wouldn't I just go with the offshore account that takes 5%, right? If you just, or, or lot, whatever. Yeah. The suckers are going to do the stuff here. The people who sign up late, people like me who are not into gambling. Uh, no, no, the, Great points, John. So, so I, I think there's going to be a huge feeling out process. Uh, the, the government, you know, they're usually inefficient at most things, especially at the start. So to think just using like New Jersey, to me, they're going to be more efficient because they've been in the gambling game for a long time, right? Just they, they've just had casinos. They kind of have a feel for it. Like in California, we haven't. So just whenever it does become legal, I, I can't see us just hitting the ground running. It's going to take some time. That's why I think a lot of these offshore accounts are going to continue to thrive, at least for the foreseeable future. But big picture, it's it's only a positive. I, it's kind of crazy now. I was watching like the College World Series yesterday, and the preview kind of leading up to it, they were showing the gambling lines of the College World Series. So clearly, a lot of all these networks think they can really profit off it and, and expand. And I. I I wonder a, a little back to marijuana, you know, my brother's a farmer and I remember him telling me last year, like it's a little overrated how much people are actually making for marijuana. You know, th- th- there's a reason that the big drug trade coming from South America was cocaine, not marijuana. Like the margins aren't as big as you think. And I've heard, you know, a lot of people in the gambling world that like laughed at Adam Silver when he asked for a percent because the actual profit that the that a you know a, a book makes it's not like they're making 50% margins they're making like 5% they're they're not making that much it takes a lot of bets to make a lot of money if you are a book cuz you have huge risks if you take a huge you know on the super bowl or whatever you're taking you know millions upon millions of dollars you're risking cuz if you lose the bet that's why you always try to set it in the middle but if it does get away from you and it becomes like 70 30 and you lose to the popular you know betting public you can get crushed so it's not it's not like a guaranteed win every time and i i think the hype on it has grown a little i i don't know how much it's going to be in the foreseeable future that it's going to be like that that big of a craze john middlecoff my man We'll have to catch up again sometime soon. Great insights on Jimmy G, Kyle Shanahan, the Niners, sports media, sports gambling. Always appreciate your time, bro. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one.
You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family has big plans for Labor Day weekend, but our outfits aren't measuring up. Then get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's huge Labor Day sale is on now. Get 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, 50% off all tees, and 50% off all sweatshirts and hoodies for the whole family. 50% off all those styles? That's a big deal. So is this. Styles start at just six bucks at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Change of plans. We're spending the weekend at Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 830-93. Excludes in-store clearance. Active licensed and men's package tees. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com